Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Hey friends, welcome to Heal Squad All-Stars, where you get to hear from our top guests. Think of it as a cheat sheet to a better you. All of the best takeaways from the top experts in one show. This Heal Squad All-Star episode centers around self-love, self-awareness, and self-transformation. We delve into how the cultivation of self-love can unlock your true potential with Elizabeth Gilbert, the best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love, and a beacon of inspiration for millions around the world. Catherine Woodward Thomas, renowned relationship expert and author of Conscious Uncoupling. Koya Webb, a holistic health and wellness coach, yoga instructor, and author, and Vishen Lakiani, best-selling author and the visionary founder of Mind Valley. Have your notebooks out and get ready to heal, my friends. This edition of Heal Squad All Stars starts now. Right, and my own experience with certainly my own experience with going deeper and deeper into a spiritual journey is that the deeper you get into that, into that stillness, and into the mystery of that the more humility it gives you. Um, and so you become sort of the opposite of the person who's like, me, me, me. And you're more like, how can I serve? And how can I be of use? And what is my actual, what is my actual service? Um, not my martyrdom, not my desperation to please, not my desperation to acquire, but is there some place in here where I can be of use? Um, and that becomes the question somebody said, like, first you go looking for God, and then God has work for you to do. Um, and so I, I completely get and would also laugh at and would have the same reaction as you. I'm sure if I was watching that, I would be like, oh God, please don't let that be me. But that would then literally be my prayer. Like, please don't let that be me. Yeah. Um, you know, please, please keep me in, in humility. And I think part of humility too is being in, it doesn't feel like, maybe it doesn't sound like our traditional definition of humility, but part of it is being honest about what you are not, you know? Um, and, and that is a really big one for me. I always talk about the power of the two words, not this. A lot of times people are in situations that are not working for them. They're in relationships that are not working. They're in job situations that are not working. They've pleased themselves to the brink. They've, you know, achieved or acquired themselves to the brink and they stay in it because they don't have a vision yet for the alternative. Um, and it's so frightening to think of walking away from something and not walking into something, right? You want to make sure you have your next steps figured out, or at least that's what most of us want because we want to be able to control everything. And I always say that you don't actually need to know what comes next. Sometimes you just need to say this two words that I think begin every journey, which is not this, you know, I don't know what I am, but I know that I'm not this. I'm not the person who needs to be in this abusive relationship. I'm not the person who needs to be worked to death. I'm not, I don't know. And people will often challenge you on that when you start saying that and they'll be like, okay, so what do you want to do? (laughs) And the humility comes from saying, I don't know. Um, But I have to start by at least saying, not this. 
I was thinking yesterday about all of the women who read your book and connected so much that they were like, I'm divorcing, I'm done, I feel this connection. And then they went off on their journeys. Is and 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 for the people maybe who are going to get to your book now, maybe that hadn't gotten to it, um, is it as easy as just saying not this and just go where your kind of heart's content is and and follow your bliss? Or is there realities you should be taking into account? Like where where is that line for you when you're, you know, giving advice to a friend who's like, I just want to like quit and just move and just go travel and live. And you're like, okay, but like someone's gonna have to pay your rent because you're in a, you know, right. a lease for a year. And like, there's things that are going to have to be done. Like, how do you right. handle that? Well, I don't have to, cause life will um, teach them that. <laughs> yeah. Um, their good friend life will humble them just the way my good friend life has humbled me. And I'm sure your good friend life has humbled you. Like when you're out of reach, you'll be notified. You'll be notified because it won't work. And then you're sort of back at square one. But I do think my experience has been to be on the receiving end of hearing a lot of these stories for women. I wish women were a little, a little lighter hearted about it. Generally, my experience is the opposite, which is that a woman has to almost die before she will change her life. A hundred percent. And Glennon Doyle told me that as well about when she was in her first marriage with Craig and she had so many autoimmune diseases, which often happens to women when they're dying and pleasing everybody else. And um, she was bedridden for, for almost a year. And she said to him, when we're old, can we move? They were living in the North. She said, when, when we're old, can we move to Florida so that I don't have to be cold and freezing all the time? And he said to her, why do we have to wait until we're old? Why don't, why don't we do that now? And this was the first story she ever told me when we became friends and we met. And she casually tossed off this line and said, you know, why does a woman have to almost die before she's willing to consider making a change? And I, it's, I made her stop and say it again, because that's what I witness. I don't witness people blithely just tossing off their lives and their obligations. I witness people staying until the alternative has become literally unsurvivable. Yeah. Um, and I wish they would stop a little sooner. <laughs> I agree. I see sooner. that as well. I feel like that's yeah. one of the reasons why I love doing this every week and and now every day is because I want to reach that person that is neglecting themselves and doesn't have the gift that I had of a brain tumor to make changes because I was brought to my knees. Um, yeah. But there, you know, I guess the question was more for like the millennial base. That is, yeah. it's more of them because it's like our generation is a little different. And, um, you know, the over, let's say 40 is more of, you know, what you're Thank saying. Thank you for calling me part of that generation. I appreciate that <laughs> as a 50-year-old. Yeah, I'm part of that generation, you know, the, the people in their 40s. You know, um, <laughs> 40 and up, we are we are the ones that are doing that for sure. I Yeah, I don't think any, honestly, Maria, I don't think any generation will be spared suffering and hardship. I don't mm -hmm. think any human will be spared suffering and hardship, no matter how helicopter parented you were no matter how entitled you may think you are. Um, it's the first noble truth of Buddhism. And, and I've never seen it contradicted by any evidence of life, that life is, that the life is suffering um, and it's coming. Uh, I had a, a young woman actually in an, in an audience, a very sweet young millennial recently raised her hand and she said, you know, you keep talking about everything that you've learned through the suffering in your life. And I feel like I haven't had any and I want to learn and I want to grow. And I was like, don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> and everybody started laughing so hard. And I said, I don't mean that to sound like the voice of doom. I mean that to say suffering knows where you live. It knows where we all live. It knows your home address. When it's your turn, there'll be a knock on the door and you'll get just what you need. And until then, just be grateful. You know, just yeah. be grateful that it's going well, you know, and don't worry, you know, whatever dose of suffering is your allotment in life, it's coming. And then comes the really big question, which is, can you turn that into grace? Can you turn that into transformation? Can you make catharsis out of it? Um, and that's the human side of what can we do with our suffering to make it not just be useless, wasted pain. And that's, I think, the most interesting possible way to, to live. But I would never, I'm not a parent, but if I, I would do what all parents do. I would try to shield my child from that as much as possible. And life would do 
what life does, which is introduce it when it's necessary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't worry too much about that. It's what's coming to people is coming to people. I know that because of my own, my own life. And you know that because of yours. And that's the ultimate humility um, to just have to surrender into that reality. When you're on the go 24 seven, like me guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me from working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials. It's been my go to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me with being a first time mom for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. With summer upon us, friends, hair is going to be even more important. Yes, we've got humidity, we've got sun, we've got all kinds of things. And sometimes it's hard to find the right shampoo for your hair. Everyone's hair is so different and there's no one size fits all solution. That's why I love Way. They have different shampoos depending on your hair type. Want volume? Fine hair and conditioner will give you that extra oomph you need. If you need some moisture and a little extra bounce, find your happy medium with medium shampoo and conditioner. And for my peeps with thick hair like me, give your hair the hydration it deserves with thick hair shampoo and conditioner. Plus, you guys already know Way carries some of my favorite hair care products I use all the time, whether it's the leave-in conditioner, which is my go-to, or the hair oil. They give my hair this hydrating refresh all summer long. Wash your way to healthier hair. <laughs> See what I did there? With shampoos and conditioners made just for you. Go to the way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Use the code Squad for 15% off your entire purchase. That's theway.com, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Use the code Hill Squad. Your hair deserves it. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps a bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Do you look at all pain and suffering as an opportunity for spiritual growth? It can be, but it needs your participation. And the example that I always think of about this is back when I was a journalist and I was writing for GQ magazine, I did a profile of a guy named Jim McLaren. I've been thinking about him a lot lately. Um, Jim was this extraordinarily gifted, handsome, talented young man. He was an athlete and an actor. He went to Yale drama school. He had the world on a string. He was gorgeous. He was brilliant. He was beloved. And he was riding his motorcycle in New York City one day at the age of 20, and he was hit by a bus, and he lost his leg. And he 
recovered and then became this formidable, powerful teacher um, about overcoming obstacles. And he became a motivational speech speaker and he became an athlete again and he became the world's foremost amputee triathlete. And he just was a, a picture of resilience and survival and, you know, we can get through anything. Ten years later, he was in a in a triathlon and he was leading the pack on the bicycle and he was hit by a car and he became a quadriplegic. And it's it's just the most oh appalling, my god yeah the most appalling story because he, as he said I thought I was done I thought my big karmic thing had happened um, and that's another piece of the humility that you have to carry of like as long as you're alive your story isn't finished yet in any yeah. direction and he tanked after that he he was not able for a long time to restore his spirit he became an addict he was so full of despair and rage and. Um, pulled his life back together, but with a lot, it was a lot harder the second time. And um, and became a teacher, became a student of spirituality. One of the most grace filled, just light filled people that I've ever met. And I asked him exactly that same question. Right? I said, "Is pain uh, a conduit for transformation and for learning and for growth?" And he said, "Only if you do the work. Otherwise, he said, catharsis doesn't happen automatically." Um, just because something painful happened to you. Um, he said, transformation only occurs with your effort. And he said to me, don't ever waste your pain, Liz. It's oh. one of the greatest tools. It's one of the greatest tools to transform your life, but only if you use it as that. Otherwise, it's just wasted suffering. Don't ever fall into wasted suffering. And I don't think there's a more eloquent answer than that or a more legitimate person to hear it from than the guy who lost his leg and then became quadriplegic. Like that's somebody who knows his way around pain, suffering and transformation. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's an invitation to level up every time. And don't you feel like, you know, these patterns that just keep coming are coming for us because we haven't still learned the lesson, whatever that lesson is to kind of get to the next level. I look at it like a video game. Yeah, that's a wonderful way to see it. And actually, Martha Beck, my friend, goes even farther and says, you designed it (laughs) before you were born. Your soul designed the video game to say, I want to give myself everything I need in this lifetime. Okay, I'm going to need a brain tumor. Okay, I'm going to need the love of my life to die. I'm going to need an addiction to wake me up. And, And that's a really radical way to think of it. I don't think any of us know what this is, what this experience of, of human life is and consciousness is. I only know that for my, in my case, when I think of it, I like to think of it as earth school, you know? Um, and I actually was recently thinking about getting a tattoo that says earth school class of 1969. Cause that's mm. when I came into earth school and, um, and that it's a generous school, but it's a hard one. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you come here because you want to grow and you want to learn, and you want to transcend, and you want to shed all those attachments and bitterness and resentment and blame and rage and limitation and all of that. And life cooperates with that desire by giving you lots and lots and lots of opportunities to suffer until you either surrender or overcome whichever the lesson might be in that case. And um, I can't prove that it's earth school, but when I think of it as earth school, it makes it easier for me to walk through challenges. I'm like, oh, earth school. All right, this is sophomore year of earth school now. <laughs> like I thought, yeah. we got through, and as soon as you get through one, they're like, "Okay, you did well on that. Here's another one." <laughs> I love how Elizabeth defines the spiritual journey as ascending from self-centeredness to humility and a desire to serve. Ugh. Up next, we up next we have Catherine Woodward Thomas. Is not a newbie to personal development, and yet I could not crack the code on how to heal myself enough to stop these these kind of toxic dynamics that were happening that were so painful for so long until I got into my 40s and I started to work with the metaphysical principles of standing for an unreasonable future that is not going to happen unless you actually commit to it. And I was a part of a group and we were holding the high watch with and for each other. And mostly the group was doing things like um, doubling their income or buying their first home or starting a business. But my love of my love life was the point that I really needed to transform. So I called up a friend from this group kind of in a place of despair because I had had yet another failed love affair. 
And I called her and I said, you know, I'm going to set a really unreasonable, outrageous intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. And thank God she didn't laugh at me. But what she did say changed my life, Maria, because she said, Catherine, I will hold that with you and for you if you give me permission to hold you accountable for being the woman that you would need to be in order for that to happen. And that was a wake up call. So what did you do? Well, I, the, so that was an invitation to stop blaming my upbringing, to stop blaming the culture, mm-hmm. to stop blaming men. I mean, we all have all these reasons, right? My thighs are too big. Um, I'm too powerful. Men don't like women who are more powerful than them. <clears throat> I'm too messed up from my childhood. Those were all the kind of reasons I was telling myself. Excuse me, I'm just going to mute for one okay. second. Yeah, this is where Tony Robbins says, divorce the story, marry the truth. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Divorce the story and marry the truth. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Who says that? Tony Robbins. Uh, good for him. Okay, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna borrow that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, and, and divorce the story. I'm not valuable. Yeah. I'm all alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm unwanted. All the meaning that we make from the traumas that we experience really from people doing the best that they could, or maybe even not doing the best that they could, but making the choices that they made, it's not so much the trauma, it's the meaning that we make of the trauma, and then how we are showing up inside of that meaning that is enrolling everybody into that story. It's very covert. So what I did when my friend invited me to do this is I gave, I lay all of that down, all of the excuses, really all of the victimization. And there's a way that I was even at that point victimized by my own consciousness, meaning I knew that I had self-esteem issues. I knew that I had invisibility issues, codependence issues. But at some point, if those issues are bigger than me, if they're in the sign of the ethereal unconscious, which lives somewhere out here or in here, but in some dark place that I have no access to, I'm victimized by it. It's bigger than me. And what I did is I stepped into being 100% responsible that I am the source of my patterns. I am the source of my experiences. And I am the one who's showing up now and perpetuating the story. I am the one who's leaving myself alone by self-abandoning. I am the one who's no longer valuing myself when I don't negotiate for my needs before hopping into bed with somebody. I am the one who is not wanting myself when I reject myself and I think that someone else is better than me and I decide that I'm inferior and they're somehow worthy of me organizing around them at the cost of my own well-being. So when I took that level of responsibility, that's when I started to really see how I was getting in my way. Now, I also was sitting on my meditation cushion every every day, and I was doing the metaphysical technique of visioning, and I was very influenced by Michael Beckwith. I don't know if you know Michael, mm-hmm. but he's at the uh, Agape International Spiritual Center, and he created a visioning process that was very influential to me at the time and still is. I love his process where you're visioning in a way where you, you, you imagine that what you desire is something that you have right now. Yep. And you, and you put that into your senses. What does it smell like when uh, the great love of my life is cooking my favorite meal for me? What does it sound like when he's singing in the shower? What does it feel like when he puts his hand on the small of my back and I just kind of melt? So you're, you're putting that into your body and all of your sensations. And then, and this is Michael's, this is Michael's process. And then I asked myself three questions. What would I need to give up in order for this to manifest? And then you sit in the silence and you listen, not like you're going to have some big booming burning bush experience, but we know things intuitively. We sense things. We all know the answer to that question when we listen. The second question, what would I need to begin to grow and cultivate and develop 
to receive this into my life and listen again. And then what is my next step? So that instead of begging God, you know, praying to the universe, hoping that it happens, I actually become a co-creator and I start leaning into who will I need to be in order for that future to manifest. And, and what's the story of that future that I can now bring into my present? So jo uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza says, mm -hmm. do not tell me the story of your past. Tell me the story of your future. Oh, so good. We have had yeah. him on the show. He's amazing. Yeah, he's um, awesome. But it's also Michael Beckwith's um, process is very familiar to me because I've, I've studied um, Esther Hicks and, you know, Abraham Hicks and, you know, the kind of the power of, you know, your desires and your beliefs being aligned for in order for you to manifest what you want. So asking it is given can only work if you actually believe it can come and it matches your desire. Um, and, and believe that you're worthy of receiving it. Yeah. When it comes to love, I actually created a term called your core love identity. <clears throat> and this is why it's so difficult and challenging to change this particular pattern. I mean, all of the patterns that we're working on changing are, are, are challenging because it's, it's effort to change a pattern. But there's something very core about the, the sense of self that we formed in response to our early childhood relationships, and in particular to our dependency needs, which is not a very popular concept because we all like to think of ourselves as not really needing anyone and we're very independent people. But the truth is, is that nature really has designed us to be interdependent. And when we start to care about someone in an intimate way and we begin to form an intimate partnership with that person, our dependency needs will kick up. And if we had early caregivers who were untrustworthy uh, in some way, or even had ill intent in some way, that that's when we go into, I am not safe here, or a core, I am not loved. And so I have to constantly try and earn love or try and prove love or try and give love to try and get it. So all of the kind of core patterns that we have really boiled down to this whole sense of self. So the beliefs that we have being aligned with the desires, it's really having a almost a pre-conscious knowing in your body that I am worthy of the love that I desire. I am already deeply loved by all of life. I, it's evidence that um, I am wanted, that, that I am here, that life has conspired against the odds to get me here, that I have the power to keep myself safe. Right. So it's, 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 and a lot of the beliefs that we formed back then, Maria, are outside of language mm. because they were formed when we were in the crib or even in the womb. Or even too young to really be able to articulate what was happening. Exactly. Exactly. So our challenge is to begin to put language to the felt sense in, in our body of what, what, where we go at the level of identity when we get quote unquote triggered who, and, wow. and there to, to every I'm alone or I'm not wanted, or I'm not safe. There is a corresponding belief about others. So inside of the, I'm not valuable, other people are better than me or inside of the, I'm alone. Everyone always leaves me. Mm. I'll never, uh, no one will ever really show up for me which is, of course, the foundation for getting entangled with married men, because if you're centered there, and this was what was happening for me, centered there, it didn't even occur to me in the early stages of attraction to assess whether someone could actually be there for me. It was such a, you know, we, we don't have beliefs like they're a cognitive thought. It's just the water we swim in. Of course, no one will ever be there for me. It's just an expectation as much as the air that we breathe. If I breathe in, there'll be oxygen for me. So, you know, part of the task that we have, and it sounds cumbersome right now, but I, I assure you it's not. 
that once you begin to ask the right questions of yourself and you just take a bit of time to get conscious, they're right there. Mm -hmm. They're right there. What's the feeling I have in my body when the pattern runs again? Where is it in my body? And what's the I am? And it'll be right there. And then you say, how old are you, sweetheart? You just talk to that part of it. How old are you, angel? And that's where you get to tell that younger you, no, honey, it's not that you're all alone. You're, first of all, you're not alone because I'm here. And you're not alone. You were never really alone. It's just that your mother was 18 and scared and distracted and, and upset and afraid and, and certainly not ready to be a mother. That's what reality was, but that had nothing to do with you. Let me tell you about yourself. Right. So, and also the, the, there are pieces in the second question, what would I need to grow and develop? Well, if you've grown up with this, I'm alone sense, you, you never actually know how to do things like navigate conflict well in a way that roots down love, as opposed to is the beginning of the end and destroys love. So there's actually missing development that keeps the pattern in place. So when you're able to wake up to the deeper truth, then you also say, what's the development I need to engage to graduate from this pattern? What's the that, I am part? So the I am is, so the I am, I am deeply connected to everyone. And I did not come here to be alone. I came here to love and be loved, and I have the power to create happy, healthy relationships that last over time. I have that power. I really love Catherine's perspective on abandoning excuses because it liberates and paves the way for transformation, friends. Up next is my dear friend, Koya Webb. How do I feel? What do I need? If you're feeling anxiety, you're feeling overwhelmed, and you say, well, what do I do then? For me, is it could be different for either person, but anxiety, I specifically do breath work. Like, okay. Like breathing, because it calms my anxiety the fastest. Frustrations, I go for a walk. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> She's like, I need this. And that's oxygen. That's like, I need to get oxygen into my body. When you yawn, it means I'm yeah. getting oxygen because I stopped breathing. So maybe whether it be something I said or whatever. And that's another thing that we can get into how so many times in life we're not breathing fully. Oh, yeah. Whenever someone says breathe, that's when I actually am like, yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. And that's when I start yawning. Okay. But what if you feel overwhelmed? If I feel overwhelmed, it's like, is there anything in my schedule that I can take off? Is there anything that it will not ruin the world if I don't do it today? And I just start laying, I just, I'll just say, okay, can we move this meeting to another mm -hmm. if I'm overwhelmed? Um, or I'll just like, so this is another thing I do. And I think it's so important if you have back-to-back, -back, I start my meetings at like 3.15, 12.15, just to give myself that 15-minute buffer to use the bathroom, to grab a snack. Oh my God, I've been so bad about that my whole life. I like do it right on the like right. butt up against, I stack. Right. Like you were like, are you totally stacked? And I'm like, how does she know me? Right, because <laughs> I know like I've been through that, but it's so refreshing. And then yeah. I look at my schedule and I'll say, wait a minute, why don't I have my 15 minute buffer now? Like now, even if I know I can do it, I'm like, oh, please schedule me a 15 minute. And people hate it because it's different, but it's like, no, 45 minute meetings. We only use 60 hours because we said we we're going to use 60 hours. How about some 30 minute meetings? It really doesn't take that. Does it really have to take that long? I know. Right. And if it does, let's have another meeting, you know? And so it's like, we, we teach people how to treat us and we yeah. forget that we have the power to craft our lives however we want. That is our power. Yeah. That is our right. So my goal is to encourage every single person listening, craft your life. And if you're a workaholic <laughs> like myself, cut out some sacred time for yourself in the morning and in the evening. And this is for your kids, for yeah. your partners. I mean, they're going to feel happier too that they have some time with you. And every person in my life, like it, it's contagious. They're like, oh, I need to do this too. And it feels good because then you have more uninterrupted time together where no one's answering the phone or on their phone or watching TV. And you 
you have more presence, yeah. right? And the work gets done. Like I was saying before we started, people are needy by nature. They're yeah. always going to need you. You're always going to be valuable. And if you allow yourself to work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., people are going to need you for that full time. Yep. And the more you section it, the more you'll find time to love yourself. The more you love yourself, the more you can love the world. I'll repeat that. The more you love yourself, the more you can love the world. The more each and every one of us loves ourselves, the more the world will heal. But we think it's us reaching outside ourselves and trying to this cause and that cause. The cause is inside. That's what I think. That's why I've been working on myself all this time. Because yeah. I know that if I can't do it, yeah, I can't. It's it's a ripple effect that starts with you. Like you come in and you're like, oh, 11 to 5. I'm like, okay, we have both worked the same amount of time in our lives, basically. Yeah. And you have learned, I've learned, I have um, have done a lot of this. I falter sometimes. Mm-hmm. We yeah. all do. <laughs> I have just like a little, but um, but it's the same thing. Like I always tell, I tell like these guys, you guys are young. This is your time to hustle. And then at some point, you know, you start to figure out how to, you know, yeah. finesse some things once you've kind of landed a little. Yeah. <clears throat> but it still doesn't mean that when you're hustling, you can't carve out time for yourself. No, I think everyone, we should teach from children and above, like you have some time in your day to work and then time in your day to play. Yeah. We, our inner child had, you know, started to be abused as a young age when we're taught that we have to be parents so young and we're not able to live out our childhood. And blessed are those parents that actually tell us, no, you're going to go play. Yeah. Not like you work and then you do work and then you come home and do more work, you know, but again, they're, they're, that's how they're living. So they're mm-hmm. just teaching what they know. So I think it's so important for us to talk about what does it look like to play just as much as you work, to practice yep. self-care just as much as you work. The work is still going to get done and it's still going to be there. What I feel is that when you nurture yourself more, a lot of the problems, you're going to be more present to people's pain. You're more clear you're to more handle clear things to handle faster, things. everything. Right. You realize that it's not how much money you can print. It's how many people you can touch mm-hmm. and help and heal. You know, what is money going to get you at the end of the day if you don't feel good? You know, you and I have, you know, seen like so many people with all the money in the world and they're still unhappy and sick. And or unhealthy. And unhealthy and yeah. frustrated. So we know it's not the money. And every one of us, no matter how much we have or don't have, have to ask ourselves, am I happy? Yeah. And how can I set myself up? How can I set my life up? How can I ask for the help that I need so that I can feel happy and so that I can feel healthy? And if we're all asking ourselves that question, I think we can all help each other. Yeah, I like that. It was When I was in Italy, I felt, um, first of all, such a connection there. And I just mm. loved it so much. Have you been? Have I been to Italy? I haven't been to Italy. Oh, my God. No. Oh my God, it's amazing. And I was telling these guys, I said, I'm going to figure out a way where we can work there two to three months out of the year, do the show from there, and then live. Like Kelsey and I did our, like, without knowing, the prototype was we were in Connecticut last year, and we would work during the day, and then the weekends we would go and explore, like, all of New England, and go, like, have fun. And that was totally foreign to me, because... I never did that before. Like when you talk about like your formative years, I grew up in a nightclub cleaning with my parents. Mm -hmm. So it was all work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe on a Sunday after we were done, we got to go be with our cousins and then we would get to play. Um, But there was so little of that and so much of the other stuff that that's just what's been ingrained in me. Yeah. Um, So it's hard. It's like a deep programming that I have to fight a lot. Yeah. Um, We have so much in common. Like my grandparents were janitors and I cleaned houses with them growing up. But you know, the one thing that I learned cleaning houses is that as long as you enjoy what you're doing mm -hmm. and it brings you joy, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And I think that's important for every person to hear. It's not what brings me joy or what brings Maria joy. It's like, what brings you joy? And is what you're doing bringing you joy? And my grandparents would sing and we'd laugh and then we'd go grab something to eat after and they just enjoyed their work. And And we were together. Yeah. And we were together. Now there was a point when they stopped enjoying it. And what happened? They quit. 
Right. And I think that's what we need to get used to doing. Sometimes we we feel like we have to do one thing for our entire lives. Right. And I think me and you are in the school of thought. We're multi-passionate yeah. people. So yeah. it's like you do it. And when you it doesn't bring you any joy, let it go. Yeah. Right. Just it's let it quitting. go. It's like letting go. Yeah. It's yeah. just letting go and realizing that as we enjoy this human experience, it's OK to experience whatever you want to experience. Now, some people don't have the opportunity to experience as much. And that's where my heart goes, like for the people who do not have, do not have food to eat, do not have shelter, are in these terrible places in life. And I think if that were me, what would I do? And when I, and one, one of the reasons I love California is because I see people who are houseless out on the beach, in the water. And sometimes I just look and I just, I just observe, you know, and sometimes I talk and have conversations and I realize that what is the difference between someone who is homeless and happy and free and enjoying every day and someone who is, has all the wealth they can think of and enjoying every day and someone who has all the wealth and doesn't enjoy and angry with life and someone who is houseless and doesn't enjoy life. It's just perception. No matter where we are in life, some of us are happy and some of us, I've talked to a homeless person and I was just like, what if you got like this much money? Like, you know what? I'd still be right here on the beach. I'd still be right here. I'll probably get a nicer this or that, you know, and they love, they love this environment. And believe it or not, there are some people out there who are just like, I'm right here. This is me right here. I mean, granted, we're in California. I don't think anywhere, I don't know anywhere else in the world people, but it just gave me perspective on what we think is healthy is not necessarily healthy to every single person. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we have these conversations with people that are different so we can realize what do people need? Now, food, clothing, shelter, these simple things, if we as a collective aren't as so greedy, we can actually have food, clothing, and shelter for every person in the world. But we have to have these conversations and we have to ask people what they need. I was with this program and I love it. It's called Foods Not Bombs. And we went down to Skid Row, you know, and most of the people down there were veterans. They served our country. They put themselves on the line and they're suffering mental illnesses and things like that. And that's why they're on drugs. And people were like, well, they they chose that life. Mm. Yeah, they chose it for us. <laughs> they chose to put themselves in a situation where they know all of these things are possible. Right. At the, and that's the best case scenario. The worst is obviously getting killed in the line of duty. But I just, I watched that John Stewart thing and I was like, if, if, if they all protested, mm-hmm. could things change? I mean, the guy who's in charge of the purse strings said, it's not a money thing. We have the money. And yet all of these people are dying because they're trying to get complete confirmation scientifically that these things are all connected to their line of duty. And it's like, first of all, anything that happens to them at this point, unless it was blatantly not in the line of duty, should just be taken care of. It just yeah. should. That's the thing. We we don't have, a, as a government, we don't have enough compassion for human beings. That's the thing. That's period. It, you know, we can say case by case, you know, every person in the world that's suffering could have it easier if our government gave a care, like yeah. about actual humans, yeah. you know? So, it, you know, we know that as a community, as a government, we have to do better. We have to really care. And again, just like the self, it goes back to self though. Am I really caring for myself if I'm just doing the lip service and not actually taking care of myself? Mm-hmm. Most of these people don't even know how to take care of themselves. So how the heck are we, do we think we're going to get into their head of how to take care of someone who is hungry, who is not like them, who doesn't look like them, yeah. who doesn't have the same socioeconomic status as them? Yeah. How? Yeah. When? So that's my goal is just to help people realize when there is a lack of self-love and lack of self-care, because it's only when we get people on an individual level, are we going to be able to get people on a collective level? So true. Every time I listen to Koya, I gain a new piece of knowledge. So beautiful. The more you love yourself, the more you can love the world. Love that. 
Coming up is Vision, whose emphasis on forgiveness being the magic pill is very inspirational. I think that when you're focused on a healing or something like that, you can, you know, be more patient with an hour-long meditation because you're really focused on doing something that's going to take a little bit more effort. But I, I think most people, 15 minutes is already hard. 15 so minutes nice. is hard, but here's what, what you got to know about it. The methods that I suggest in the sixth phase, the 15 minutes that you spend will probably give you an extra one to two hours that day. I agree. Because of the benefits in your brain cognition, mm-hmm. if you're working that day, your work is going to be so much more productive. I've I know if it. I skip my, my sixth phase, I'm not going to be able to work as effectively. I'm not going to be able to get as much done. Mm-hmm. This optimizes yourself. Just like you need to take your car for a tune-up, this tunes up your your being. And so you do your best work. And that happens in phase four, five, and six. That's what happened to me after I started meditating. I was like, I have so much more free time. Right. Because you're not moving in a fog and you're not moving in confusion. You're not overwhelmed. You're you're clearer. So everything happens faster and easier. And I was like, I'm getting up at the same time. And somehow I have an extra hour in the morning. How is this happening? So I I know that that's possible and that that happens. So phase three. So phase three is unfuck with ability. Nice. And what that means is that you're at peace and centered in terms of who you are. This, another word for this quality is equanimity. Okay, I love that word. Equanimity is to be peaceful within a storm. Equanimity is the quality that monks possess. And unfuckwithability means that criticism, people who are negative towards you, people who have hurt you in the past, you are done with that. You've forgiven them. It no longer, you no longer carry the weight of that trauma. So it's a very useful way for removing trauma that you may be carrying with you. But it also means that you are you love yourself and you're secure in yourself enough that you don't have that neediness where you need constant recognition. You need someone to constantly appreciate you. And that's really healthy in relationships because neediness disappears. So how do you become unfuckwithable? Through the practice of forgiveness. Now, this was studied at Dave Asprey's 40 Years of Zen and also studied at uh, Dr. Jim Hart's Biocybernaut Institute. Both of these institutes measure the brainwave states of monks and then repattern those brainwave states in um, a meditator's brain. It's an expensive protocol. It's using advanced biofeedback therapies. It costs around 15 grand at both institutes. And I've, I've done some great work there. But what they found is that if you want to replicate the brainwave states of a monk, and for, for brainwave geeks out there, this means left-right brain coherence and high alpha amplitude, The number one way is forgiveness, Mm. okay? Forgiveness. Now, I remember when I was at the Biosabinot Institute, this Mm. was the story they told me. There was a a woman, let's just call her Alice, right? And actually not Alice, let's let's just say there was a woman and um, she was showing incredible improvements in her brainwave state. And so the neuroscientist asked her, "What, what are you doing? And she goes, I don't know. I'm just forgiving that asshole. And all she was doing in the chamber was forgiving her husband for cheating on her. But the act of forgiveness was causing her brainwaves to go through this incredible evolution more and more and more towards the ideal brainwave state of monks who spend decades in meditation. Forgiveness is that magic magic pill. And studies are now showing that forgiveness does so many other things. Um, it improves your, your sports ability. It actually improves vertical jump and increases endurance. What? It's crazy, right? University of Israel, forgiveness increases endurance. I think it was Utrecht University, forgiveness improves your vertical jump. I literally had oh a, a Olympian basketball player reach out to me to say, how can I master forgiveness after I shared that study? It helps you sleep better. It improves nervousness. It, it helps resolve nervousness, anxiety. It improves your relationship with everyone around you. But it also seems to transcend space and time and cause the person you're forgiving to go through an awakening or healing. So let me tell you a crazy story. Crazy story that that happened to me. So I was at one of these institutes um, with Dave Asprey. Uh, Dave Asprey, if you don't know him, he's the the founder of the biohacking movement. Brilliant, brilliant man. He studies everything that has the potential to heal and, and, and transform human beings. 
So I was there with these um, this this group of really high level people. Obviously, it's an expensive protocol, fifteen thousand for five days. So high net worth individuals, and we were having breakfast in the morning at a nearby inn before we went to the institute for a five hour long meditation session. So this was around day three, and this guy comes running down the stairs. Uh, let's just call him Daniel, but he comes running down the stairs and he's staring at his phone. And I ask Daniel, "Is everything okay?" And he goes, my, my, my brother just messaged me. And I go, is everything okay with your brother? He goes, no, you don't understand. I haven't spoken to my brother in, in two and a half years. We rarely talk. So Daniel was 50. And he told me that when he was 10 years old, his brother had sexually assaulted him. And it fucked him up. For decades, he couldn't have a normal, healthy relationship. He could only sleep with with hookers. He needed cocaine. He, he was hooked on cocaine for a large amount of his time. And then he'd made the efforts to become clean, to clean himself up. But he lost decades of his life because of what happened to him. And of course, he hated his brother. He stopped talking to his brother. And Daniel told me that for the last three days, all he was doing in terms of forgiveness was seeking to forgive his brother. Across space and time, his brother did not know what he was doing. But his brother messaged Daniel and sent Daniel a YouTube video that he had recorded. The brother had recorded this YouTube video apologizing for what he did. This happened across space and time. Mm. And the brother had no way of knowing what Daniel that Daniel was practicing forgiveness. Oof. Wow. And so there's a there's a healing influence that seems to happen. Now, we can't measure this scientifically. Like in all the scientific studies of forgiveness, they don't talk about this phenomenon because you can't understand what's going on. They talk about how forgiveness improves your biology. It helps you sleep. It can reduce back pain. All of these incredible benefits that you should do, that you should, which means you should do it anyway. But what I've seen, and I've, I've experienced these similar things as Daniel. I've seen people that I forgive message me out of the blue saying, hey, I'm so sorry for what I did. I was an absolute jerk. And it's healing for both them and you. Mm -hmm. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Well, that's it for today, Heal Squad. Before I let you go, I want to make sure you don't forget to take care of yourself today. I'll be making sure I'm not forgetting to get outside, do my meditations, and of course, keep myself fueled with some sweet, chili, wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios, as you know, are my go-to when hunger strikes because they're one of the highest protein nuts providing all nine essential amino acids, and they're great for on-the-go snacking. So... When you're ready to elevate your snacking game, visit wonderfulpistachios.com to grab a bag 